This is Sermon 15 in the 16 Sermon Series on Calling and Election by Christopher Love. The text throughout has been 2 Peter 1, verse 10, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. The last conclusion or doctrine drawn from these words was this, that Christians should put forth a great deal of diligence to make sure to their souls that they are eternally elected by God to life and glory. In the prosecution of which I have dispatched several queries, I am now to proceed further in the dispatch of what yet remains to be spoken concerning this subject. A fourth query follows. Fourthly, whether the decree of election or God's purpose to save a company of men being from eternity and being immutable, whether doth not this give way to man to be secure and careless in the use of the means of grace, that they take no care to get grace and to get heaven while they are in the world? This is a very useful point to insist upon, seeing the Arminians charge us with this, that if we hold election without respect to God's foresight of works in men, then this lays open a gap for men to live as they list. That they say, if God hath determined they shall be saved, they shall be saved. If that they shall be damned, they shall be damned, whether they are holy or profane. If God hath elected them to life, they shall be saved. Let them live as they list. Thus the Armenians plead. This, therefore, is the query whether this doctrine of election doth administer any ground for such a cavil as this to be in the minds of men. And to answer which, I shall first lay down this general conclusion that the decree or the purpose of God about the election of man to life and salvation doth no way administer any just ground to men to make them live as they list and to make them neglect the means of grace and salvation in the clearing of which I shall lay down three particulars to satisfy you about this matter. As first, that God's decree about civil and temporal matters doth no way give encouragement to men to neglect the use of means and live careless of the accomplishment of his decree, and therefore not so in spiritual. As now, for instance, God hath determined from all eternity how long every one of us shall live in the world. Our days are numbered, in his counsel. Now, though God hath determined how long we shall live, this no way gives us encouragement to say, therefore, I will never put one rag of clothes to cover me in the winter, and I will never put a morsel of meat in my mouth, for God hath determined how long I shall live, and therefore, whether I eat or no, till then I shall not die. And again, God hath determined from all eternity, touching every one of us, whether we shall be poor or rich in this world. And therefore, to draw this conclusion that it is no matter whether I be industrious in following my calling and looking after my trade, or whether I spend my estate in rioting and drunkenness, God hath determined whether I shall be rich or poor. If he hath decreed I shall be poor, I shall be poor. Or that I shall be rich, I shall be rich. Let me live as I please. This reasoning is very fond and foolish in temporal things, and therefore much more in spiritual. 
God hath determined from all eternity, thou shalt be saved or damned, and the decree of God cannot be changed. But now, to draw hence that it is no matter how I live, whether in ways of holiness or in ways of sin, this is an abusive collection from God's decree. Because as Dr. Preston say, if a man doth not use those means that may evidence to his soul that he is elected, it is an argument that he is not elected. If thou say, if God hath determined it, he will save me, whether I am holy or profane, and therefore I will never hear a sermon, never pray in my family, never use holy duties, saith Preston, if thou neglected these means, it is an argument thou art not elected. Because as God hath elected thee to the end, he hath also ordained thee to use the means. I have read a story of an Italian who, lying upon his deathbed, sent for a physician, the most exquisite and exact artist in all Italy. And this man held his, this opinion, I am now speaking of, that seeing God's decrees were unalterable, a man might live as he lived yet and, and yet be saved. That let a man be as holy as he could be, if God had decreed his damnation, he should be damned. And let a man be never so wicked, if God have decreed his salvation, he should be saved. And that the decree of God took off the use of all means, that a man need not use any means, but only trust in God. The physician, being a man acquainted with the mysteries of religion, after he had asked him the state of his body and where the disease lay, the party desiring him to prescribe some physic. The physician gave him this answer. Saith he, God hath determined how long you shall live. Therefore, if I give you physic, if God hath determined you shall die, you shall die for all of that. And if he hath decreed you shall live, though I give you no physic, yet you shall live. And this answer, saith the historian, took such place with the Italian that it converted him in this very principle and he became a man very diligent in following the means of grace upon this very saying and indeed a just and grounded speech it is this therefore is my answer that if such reasonings as these in temporal things are unreasonable they are much more in spiritual <coughs> secondly to you that make this plea I would say this that at the very instant wherein God did decree or determine to bring a man to life, at that very instant, God did decree that that man would be holy before he died. He shall use all holy and sanctified means conducible to his salvation. Romans 8.29, whom he did predestinate, them he did predestinate to be conformable to the image of his Son. God the Father, in that very decree wherein he doth ordain man to life, did ordain that those men elected should live conformable to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.4 He hath chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world was laid that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. God did decree that our lives should be holy. He ordains holiness as the means as well as heaven as the end. And so Ephesians 2.10 God hath created us in Christ Jesus unto good works which he hath before ordained that we should walk in them. 2 Thessalonians 
God before the world was at that very instant wherein he ordained and chose men to life did also ordain that men should live a holy and blameless life here upon earth. Now then for men to make this objection that seeing God hath decreed men to life therefore men may live as they list is absurd. For if men do live as they list it is an argument God did not decree them to life. Because God in decreeing men to life and salvation did decree that they should walk in the course of sanctification and holy living in this world. Thirdly, suppose this should be taken for granted that God had decreed to damn thee or me. That God in his purpose had appointed he would not save us. Yet God as creator deserves thy service. God as creator may lay claim to thy duties. Though God should condemn us, yet he, make, uh, he making us deserves obedience and deserves duties of thankfulness from us. And therefore, under this notion only, though no other consideration be looked after, this should engage you to righteous living, and this should engage you in a way of duties, though he never saved you. Adam, though he never should uh, come to heaven, being an innocency, yet being made and created by God, was engaged to live a holy life. And so it is with every man alive, as we are creatures and have a being from God, the comforts of this life from God. All this doth oblige us to a course of obedience and righteous living toward God. Though he should throw us into hell when we have done. And that's much for resolving the fourth query, that that the decree of God, touching man's election to life, does in no way give encouragement to men to live as they list upon the aforementioned grounds. I now pass to the fifth query. Fifthly, what temptations does the devil suggest to the minds of godly men to make them doubt with themselves that they are not elected by God when indeed they are, to make them think that they are reprobate silver when they are vessels of honor, meat for their master's use? Perhaps I may speak to some whose spirits are perplexed in this case. And the answer hereunto I shall reduce to three heads as I lay them down, labor to take them off, that there may be no just ground or reason to make you doubt of your election. First, the devil tempts a godly man with this, that sure you cannot be elected because that before your calling you were so exceeding sinful and profane in your lives so exceedingly profane, vile, wicked livers that certainly, the devil will say, such as you could not fall within the compass of God's purpose to save. Secondly, the devil will tell you that certainly you cannot be elected to life because that after your calling into Jesus Christ, you have fallen so foully into capital and scandalous crimes and sins. And thirdly, because that God doth continually pursue his people with outward and great afflictions, thence the devil will gather you are not the chosen and beloved of God. These three grand temptations he doth many times fasten upon tender consciences merely to create a world of doubts and perplexities in the chosen vessels of mercy. I begin with the first. First, the devil tempts you that sure you are not elected because your lives were so exceedingly profane and you were such abominable ill-livers before you took upon you the profession of Jesus Christ. 
this the devil lays before many poor souls to stumble at. To satisfy you in this, therefore, I shall lay down four particulars by way of answer. First, many of the servants of God before their calling have been very lewd, wicked, notorious, profane livers, and yet have been within the compass of God's election to life and glory. Cast your eyes upon Paul, and there you shall find what he was before his call. He tells you himself, I was a blasphemer, a horrible sin. I was a persecutor. I was injurious to God's church. I hailed men to prison for professing the name of Jesus. These are great sins. Nay, further saith he, I was exceeding mad against the church of God. A man enraged with malice against the people of God. Now what could be more vile than these? And yet you will find this man a chosen vessel of mercy. And there you shall find God to strengthen the, the confidence of men upon their election. Puts a scandalous liver and election together to make men see that a scandalous life before conversion is no prejudice to a man's election. Acts 9.13 And Ananias said, Lord, we have heard of this man by many. Speaking of Paul. How much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. We have heard by many. What an evil man this is. And that he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call upon thy name. And this man did do it. He did execute his commission. Here was a wicked liver. But now, mark what the Lord said. Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel to me. Here you see Ananias lays his offense and his wickedness before him, and yet, go thy way, saith God, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel to me. The like instances we have in Manasseh and Mary Magdalene. This, therefore, is my first answer, that many of the servants of God have been men of very ill and notorious lives before conversion, and yet they have been within the compass of God's election to salvation. Secondly, though men have been notoriously wicked in their lives before calling, Yet if this notorious wickedness doth lay any engagement upon them to make them labor to be more eminent in grace after calling, this is rather a sign of election than reprobation. It is observable in Paul. He was a notorious man before his call. But now this exceeding wickedness of his before call did engage him to labor to exceed all others in goodness after he was converted. And the more evil he was before, the more holy he labors to be after. As he labored before to hail men to prison for professing Jesus Christ, he is now as zealous to draw men to Jesus Christ after his call. He is, he is very industrious to do evil before his call, and this made him, after his call, as he saith himself, I was in labors more abundant than they all. And so Mary Magdalene, who before her calling was a vile woman, one that was a common harlot, a woman out of whom Jesus Christ cast seven devils. And yet this woman, after her calling, she labored to be more eminent in godly sorrow than any woman before or since. She washed Christ's feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head the like of which you do not read of any woman in Scripture. And this is a very good sign. When your notoriousness in ways of sin before calling shall lay such engagement upon you to become more eminent in grace after calling, 
This is a very good encouragement or evidence that you are within the compass of God's election. And therefore you have no cause to be discouraged. Suppose before the word laid hold upon your conscience, you were guilty of filthy sins, not fit to be named in the congregation. If you will, the more honor God and praise God now and walk more humbly and labor to excel each other in grace now as you did in sin in times past. This is a great sign that you are in the compass of God's elect ones. Thirdly, that you have been scandalous in your lives before calling for your comfort, know that God in his eternal counsel doth commonly make the profane and wicked and the worst of men the objects of his election rather than civil, honest men, rather than men that are of an honest and civil and moral conversation here in this world. And the Lord doth it upon this ground, the more to magnify the freeness and the riches of his own grace in electing men to life. For should God only choose moderate and civil, honest men in the world, men who would be apt to think it is uh, that man's morality and that man's civility that was the motive which provoked God to elect them, but therefore God to overthrow these thoughts, he lets election run rather to men that have been notoriously gross and sinful in their lives than other men. Manasseh, a notorious bloody man yet falls within the compass of God's election when many a civil man is left out Mary a common harlot yet chosen when many a modest chaste woman was cast into hell Matthew 21 31 32 there Christ urgeth a parable of two men one that said he would not go and follow Christ but did and the other said he would go but did not now, which of, of the, these twain did the will of Christ? And they said the first. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that publicans and harlots shall go into heaven before you. But you will say, uh, Was this common? This was only one single time. Therefore mark the next words. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you believed not. But the publicans and harlots believed in Christ. John came preaching and you would not believe, you Pharisees, strict moral men that did not fly out into such scandals as other men did. You would not believe, saith Christ, but publicans, men that were most addicted to extortion and unconscionable gain, they embraced Jesus Christ when moral men would not. And this therefore should be another comfort for you that many times election runs rather to the profaner sort of men than to the men that are civil and righteous dealing men here in the world. And this God doth to magnify the riches of his own grace. Fourthly, that it is no matter what you were before your calling, if you are a repentant and holy people after, your former miscarriages shall no way prejudice your future blessedness. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 Neither fornicator nor idolater nor adulterer, nor thief, nor covetous, nor reviler shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, and such were some of you, etc. Here you see a catalogue of vile evils heaped together, and such were some of you, but now you are, are washed, now you are sanctified, so that no matter what you were be, before conversion, though guilty of great sins, 
So you are now a reformed people, and now a sanctified people. Titus 3.3, 3, we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, etc. You were so. But after the kindness and love of God appeared to you, after they were converted, they were not so. So that these four particulars will clearly take off this objection that no matter what you were before conversion, if you are now a repentant people and bewail your your evils and reform your ways, your your former ill-led life will be no hindrance at all to your election. Indeed, this I must need say, that you have been most notorious in sin. God expects this at your hands, that you be more most eminent in grace, most deep in humiliation, most eminent in godly sorrow, though your, your former evils do no way uh, prejudice your election. Secondly, if the devil cannot fasten this upon you, he will come upon you with this assault, that your frequent falling into scandalous and foul and gross enormities after you took upon you a profession of Jesus Christ. And this the devil will lay, uh, perhaps, he will lay it close, perhaps sin before conversion was not so great. But now, since you have followed sermons, and since you have professed Jesus Christ, since that time you have fallen foully into gross and scandalous sins, and surely this is inconsistent with grace, it cannot befall persons within the compass of God's election. And I confess this is both sad and hazardous. Yet I shall lay down three things to uphold thee, that yet for all this thou mayest be within the compass of God's election. First, that diverse persons that were within the compass of God's election have fallen foully into gross sins after their call. Lot, after he was called, fell into fell to be incestuous and fell to drunkenness. David, after he was called, fell into adultery. Peter, after he was called, fell into a denial of Jesus Christ. Yea, you read of Solomon, 1 Kings 11.9, that his heart was turned from the Lord after the Lord had revealed himself to him twice. After God had revealed himself to Solomon and converted him, after that time he did evil against his God. And nay, you read further in Nehemiah 13.26 that Solomon's wives turned away his heart from the Lord though he was beloved of his God. Though he were beloved by God and were elected by him, yet his wives turned away his heart from the Lord. The like phrase you have in Numbers 14.23, After all these works I have done amongst them, and the miracles I have shown them in Egypt and in the wilderness, they have provoked me, saith the Lord, these ten times. After they were the Lord's by covenant, after they were a delivered people, after this they provoked him many a time, by sinning against him, and yet diverse of them were elect vessels of mercy, so that I may I say many of God's servants, after their calling, have fallen foully into scandalous sins, and yet have been within the compass of God's election. 
Secondly, if you're, if you're falling into gross and scandalous sins, have not these four sinful ingredients. If you're falling into sin after calling, maybe uh, consistent with election. First, if you fall not into sin voluntarily. Secondly, if you fall not into the same sin frequently. Thirdly, if you fall not into sin with complacency. And fourthly, if you lie not under your fall impenitently. If these ingredients be mixed with your sinning after your call, they are inconsistent with the election. First, if you fall into sin voluntarily, that you rush into sin as a horse into the battle. Secondly, if you fall into the same sin frequently, then it is hazardous and dangerous. It is true, Peter denied Christ, but it was but in one fit of a temptation. David fell into adultery, but it was never but once. Lot was guilty of drunkenness, but only in one fit. For the servants of God, though they fall, yet they fall not frequently into the same sin, if it's gross and scandalous. Thirdly, if you fall into sin with complacency, if you take pleasure in the evils you fall into, if you do, as Job saith, hide sin under your tongue, counting it sweet and delightsome to you, and lastly, if all this be joined with impenitency, that you have not a heart to repent of the evils you fall into, the Lord have mercy upon you. For certainly, if you fall into sin with these ingredients, you are not within the compass of God's mercy to save. But now, though you do fall into sin, if it be not voluntary, but through the force of temptation, if it be not with complacency, but a dislike of the sins you fall into, and as soon as you do fall and see your sins, you repent and rise again. Though you do fall in this way, it will be no prejudice to your election. Thirdly, falling into sin after calling a profession made of Jesus Christ may be consistent with election in these four cases. First, that the sins you fall into be clearly discerned. Secondly, if they are sensibly bewailed. Thirdly, if they are strongly resisted. And lastly, if they be daily labored and prayed against. Though you do fall into sin, yet in these cases sin will not be damning to you or be an impediment to your election. And thus I have done with the second case of conscience. Only let me urge this one thing before I leave it. For I would not have you make this doctrine a doctrine of liberty, but I would have you lay it to heart. That if any of you fall foully after conversion. Believe it, God will make you smart for this. Though not in hell, yet you shall have a hell in your conscience. You shall have the very pregustations of hell, a wounded conscience. And God will expect deep humiliation and great repentance if you sin after profession made of Jesus Christ. It may be, that it may have that influence upon you, as upon David, who cried out, I have no quietness in my bones by reason of my sin. God will give you no rest, night or day, by reason of sin, if you run into it after profession made of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, men do doubt of their election because God per pursues them with continual afflictions and lays the continued strokes of his heavy wrath upon them and this makes many a godly man to think that he is not in the number of God's elect ones to which I shall briefly answer that 
this is nothing else but a temptation and not a truth. And it was the very controversy that Job's friends had with him. They would fasten this upon Job that he was a reprobate and a hypocrite because God did so afflict him. And yet Job maintained his sincerity and shows his grounds that God was his friend and that he did not reject him, though he did afflict him. But to speak more particularly, first, no man can infallibly and certainly judge of God's purposes about men's election or reprobation by any of the dispensations of God toward their bodies in the things of this life. Ecclesiastes 9, 1 and 2, No man knows either love or hatred by anything that is before him. All things fall alike to all, the same event to him that feareth God and to him that feareth him not, to him that sweareth and to him that sweareth and him that feareth an oath. Secondly, afflictions from God are so far from being grounds or evidences that a man is not elected that in some cases they may prove evidences that they are the very elect of God. Hebrews 12, 6 and 7, He chasteneth every son whom he receiveth. They are bastards and not sons whom he chastiseth not. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Revelation 3:19. In some cases, afflictions from God are rather tokens of love from God than the contrary. As now, in case afflictions be as a spur to you to make you quicken your pace in heaven way. Two, in case your afflictions be as pruning hooks to you to cut and lop off the luxuriant buddings and workings of sin in the heart. Three, in case affliction be as a hedge to you, to keep you in, and to make you walk in a close communion with God, and not to wander or go astray from Him. For, case affliction be as a, a file to you, to file off that rust that cleaves to your nature. Five, in case affliction proves a furnace to refine you from that dross of corruption that is mixed with your services. <clears throat> in these cases, afflictions are so far from being grounds to doubt your election that they may rather give you evidence that you are the very elect of God. Thirdly, that God in his wisdom doth many times expose his own people to greater troubles in this life than he lets wicked and reprobate men undergo. God will not give reprobates their hell here, that so he might give them hell hereafter. God will not give the elect heaven here to make heaven more desirable to them while they live here and more welcome when they come there. It is God's pleasure in the dispensations of his providence amongst men to let his own people lie under more outward sorrows than wicked men shall do. Psalm 73, 5, Their eyes burst out with fatness. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued as other men are. The Lord in his dispensations doth so deal with wicked men that they are not plagued they are not troubled as godly men are in this world. And therefore, surely affliction is no argument of God's displeasure or of their not being within the compass of God's purpose to do them good. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. 
It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L 3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.